0: There are times in our lives when we struggle, when we're full of anxiety, of fear, of hopelessness. What if there was someone in our life who cared for us, who had the power to give us genuine hope, even in the midst of all we go through? There is someone. The Bible identifies him as the God of the universe, and he loves us deeply. He is our heavenly father who cares for us. He is the Son of God who took our place. He is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and is our daily helper. All three are expressions of the one true God. Let's meet with this God exactly where we are, right here and now, and try to better know the God who loves me. Good morning, family. Can we go ahead and clap our hands and celebrate
1: the God who loves each and every one of us? It is such a joy to be here with you today. My name is Xavier, and I have the ultimate privilege of serving as the campus pastor at our Missouri City campus. Uh, and we are just excited that you are in church today. If you're joining us online or if you're at the Missouri City campus, Pastor Tim is preaching live at the Richmond-Rosenberg campus this Sunday. So if you're at the Missouri City campus, thank you so much for locking, with, uh, locking in with us. We're so excited that you're there. And depending on how many amens I get from Sugar Lamb today, this might be my last sermon ever here. So I'm coming back to see you next week. So no pressure, Sugarland. I just wanted to put that out. I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we're jumping into a brand new series called The God Who Loves Me. And the truth is that it's meant to be a personal series because it's almost an alignment back to an understanding of the God who loves you. And that's why it's called The God Who Loves Me. We're very creative uh, with the title. And so w- what we want to do over the next couple of weeks is if you're interested, in the room and maybe you know who God is, we want to make sure that we get almost an alignment done the same way that we would do for our cars and those types of things. We want to get an alignment to make sure that we're all centered on who God really is and who he's revealed himself to be in his word. And, and if you're not a Christian or you're not a believer in the room today, we're hoping to introduce you to this God so that you can make the best decision about your life. This past week, uh, my family is in town. I have a few family members in town. And uh, we were celebrating the upcoming birth of our child. It's a baby shower. Uh, our, our son is due October the 30th, and we're excited about it. And so we did all the baby shower things. We had the baby shower meatballs and the baby shower pasta salad and the baby shower games that nobody knows how to play. We gave away those $5 Starbucks gift cards that you can't get anything at Starbucks with. It's the whole, the whole experience. We made sure that, that they got it. Uh, the point is, later we were reminiscing just about advice, advice that I had gotten from my parents, advice that Francine had gotten from her parents. And we were just having these conversations. And I grew up in a country, I grew up in a, in a, in a small town in Eastern North Carolina that was smaller than Rosenberg, both in size and population. And it, not a lot there. And so we enjoyed being outside. We had imaginations because that's all we had. And so we would go and we would hunt and fish and be outside all the time. My grandmother actually owned chickens because we lived kind of on this farm or whatever. My grandmother owned chickens and, I mean, weird animals. And I was just really scared of all of them. As the baby boy, I was scared of everything that was on this uh, farm. And so I was scared of the cows. I was scared of the dogs. I was scared of the bees, the hornets, the ants, the whatever it was, I was scared of it. As the baby, I just, I don't know, I, I kind of carried that mantle for the rest of my family. Don't worry, I'll be scared so that nobody else has to. And, and so, yeah, I was brave like that. And so um, I, I carried this mantle for my family. And my, my dad, in trying to console me one day, he gave me this piece of advice. He said, hey, son, I'll remind you two things. Number one, uh, animals are always more afraid of you than you are of them. And number two, he reminded me, son, if you don't mess with an animal, it won't mess with you. And I believed that, mm-hmm, sure did. And one day, in true country fashion, I was walking to my grandmother's house, it was about a mile away from where I lived, and off in the distance, I could see uh, a dog. Now, the dog, I didn't know what type of dog it was, I wasn't close enough for that, it was just a, a white dog off in the distance, and so I decided, hey, I, I won't mess with it, because i remember what my dad told me. He's more afraid of, of me than I am of him, and then number two, As long as I don't mess with him, he's going to leave me alone. So I'm walking up to my grandmother's house, and then eventually I pause because I hear something, and the dog is running and charging up to me. And I keep going, okay, he's trying to scare me. He's not going to bite me. And before I could even think, move, run, or jump, he jumps and latches onto my arm, and he starts shaking and biting me and attempting to take my life. I might not be standing here before you today. I mean, it's funny, but legitimately, I feared for my life. And so I start fighting this animal off. If you're a dog lover, this is where you close your eyes, close your ears. I'm like trying to punch the dog, I'm like trying to kick the dog, I'm down on the ground, like he tried to bite my neck, so I like put him in the headlock, and then I mean, I'm just going to town, like going going to town. I'm sorry, I still have the scar on my knuckle to prove it, but I I was screaming for my mom, even though she was nowhere around, that just the first thing that popped into my head. And I finally uh, make it out of the situation, I get in the house, my dad picks me up, we go to the doctor. They me 27 injections uh, because I had to get vaccinated or whatever for rabies and I'm having this conversation with my dad and I learned a lot in that moment. What's the moral of the story? Moral of the story is don't trust anything your parents say. Uh, no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. The, the, the moral of the story is since that day, I have treated every animal differently. I've treated every dog differently. I go to a friend's house now, and they have like these family friends that they like take pictures with and dress up and all of that stuff, and they're like, oh, that's just Spot. Spot doesn't bite. I was like, I'm about to send Spot to his spot up in heaven if he doesn't get away from me. It's going to be in the end of him. Because my interaction, my image of animals has been completely skewed. And so now that shapes my interaction with every other dog and every other animal. And why am I really telling this story It's because there's an image in your head and in my head that we have of God. And our image of God will shape our interaction with God. And, And that's your first point right there. It is my image of God shapes my interaction with God. This means that whatever I believe about God will shape how I behave toward God. And so having a misrepresented image of God the Father in our heads will really not just mean that we don't get to have a true intimate relationship with Him, but it means that we will interact with the rest of the world differently if we don't learn to see God for who He has revealed Himself to be inside of the Scriptures. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So in our conversation today, I hope to introduce you to God the Father. And then in the next weeks to follow, we're gonna talk about God the Son, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit, and then we're gonna wrap up the series uh, talking about the Trinity. But particularly, specifically today, we wanna talk about the Father. See, the truth is that you and I all have an image of God when I say God the Father. I want you to take a moment here, maybe 10 or so seconds, and just think about when I say Father God, what image pops into your head? Is he a caring father? Is he a loving father? When I say Father God, what, what does he look like to you? Does he, does he have a, like a long gray beard? Does he like walk with a cane? What, what, what does God look like in your head? What, what is he like to be around? Is he warm? Is he affectionate? Is he emotionally available? I want to read a scripture to you, and then I'm going to come back to the image that we have. It's in John chapter 14, verse number 6 through 11. Um, This is Jesus talking. He's having a conversation with some of the disciples. He says this is, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.'" And Jesus said to him, "'Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father.'" How can you say, "'Show us the Father.'" Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. See, this idea of God being a father is something that is not exclusive to the New Testament and exclusive to Jesus' references. However, I want to draw your attention to how stark of a difference uh, the usage happens. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as a father roughly about 15 times. But then we see Jesus and the disciples use the word father over 10 times in one conversation here in the New Testament. And if you read throughout the entire New Testament, you will find this idea of God referred to as a father about 245 times across the New Testament. And Jesus wanted to paint this picture in our heads of God, not as this distant entity that sits out in the cosmos that makes these arbitrary uninvolved decisions without thought for what the cause and effect might be for them. And he wants to paint this image that you and I serve a God that is present, that is caring, that is loving, and that wants a relationship with us like a father. See, see, psychologists have been doing these studies, and what they've learned is that the way that you and I see our heavenly father is directly shaped by our relationship with our earthly father. And that because you and because I grew up with an imperfect earthly father, sometimes we take those misrepresented images of what a father is like or should be like into our relationship with God. And I'm not doing this to bash fathers. I'm just saying, you are imperfect. I am imperfect. I'm going to have a son soon, and I will be imperfect. I'm going to raise my son to be a Carolina Panthers fan. That's clearly imperfect. He's going to suffer the rest of his life because I won't get over my pride as a father and just vote for whoever wins the Super Bowl the next year. But, but, the, but the deal is this, because we serve imperfect fathers, we carry those images into our relationship with God sometimes. And so what I want to do is I want us to dispel just a few of those misrepresented images of the father before we get into four attributes of what our heavenly father is actually like. So here's a couple of images really quick. Number one, we get this image that God is a transactional father and the idea of a transactional father says this if i am good then god is good that as long as i follow all the rules and do everything right then god will protect me then god will do good things in my life but the moment that i step outside of line Oh, man, I'm going to have to deal with the anger and the punishment, and I'm going to have to deal with the wishy-washy nature of my heavenly Father. And the truth is that your heavenly Father is not like that, that, that he is not transactional in nature, that, that he is not making deals with you, that he is not making deals with me. That that he is not in the business of, okay, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. And I promise. And then the next time I do it again, he's so angry that he's ready to smite me. That he is not a transactional God. But the truth is you serve a God and you have a heavenly father who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that he is consistent and that his behavior is not based on our behavior. You do not have a transactional father. You also don't have a present but disconnected father. And this idea is that God will take care of my needs, but not necessarily my wants. And here's the big deal. He doesn't want an intimate relationship with me. He's simply really just a present provider. And we get this image. And like, think about it. Think about your own relationship with your father, not to bring up baggage, but to think, what was he like and what from how he behaved are you bringing into your image of God? Because the truth is, you don't serve a present but disconnected father. You serve a father that wants you to know him, that wants you, that already knows you intimately. I I, I had a struggle growing up. My father was military, and he he did about 25 years in the military. Uh, Before he retired, he did a couple of tours overseas. And while he was active duty, my father was not as emotionally available as he is now. As a matter of fact, it's not, into, it's not until just recently into my adulthood that I've learned things about my father intimately that I never knew before. What were his goals and aspirations as a kid? What are the things that hurt his feelings? What are the things that he likes? What are the things he don't like? What does he do for fun? My, my father was all work for a lot of times. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we will bring that image into how we see our heavenly father. Number three, you don't serve a selfish father, and that is that God is only concerned that I worship him and follow his rules for his own fulfillment. That God only cares about how you honor him, that he only cares that you lift him up, that he only cares that you worship him, and that he's not doing all of those things simply because he wants a relationship with you as your creator and as your father, And the last one is this, we don't serve a father without a standard, which means this, God is completely unconcerned about my day-to-day actions as long as I don't do anything really bad. And sometimes we get this image that God kind of sits up in heaven watching his cosmic TV, and he's mostly unconcerned about what happens in life as long as I don't step too far out of the boundaries. And you don't serve a God like that. You you and I serve a God who wants, once again, I cannot stress it enough, to have an intimate, daily, involved relationship with you and with I. So so, what does that mean, Pastor Xavier? I know I know that we're saying here are all the things that God are not and, and I'm trying to dispel all my images or all my misrepresented images of God in my head. But what are the true attributes of God? What are some things that I can depend on God for? And, and, and I love God for so many reasons, but one of the reasons I love His plan is because God has chosen to reveal Himself to us through His Scripture. And at any time you and I have questions about God, what is He like? What are His attributes? Anytime we want to get to know Him, he has given us this gift and he has given us his word as a way to reveal himself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into some attributes and we're going to read some scriptures that supports these attributes and see if we can build a clear image of God. And then at the end of all of these attributes, I'm going to tell you, rather than this just being a study about God, I'm going to tell you why these attributes matter so much to us day to day. Here's the first one, is that you serve and I serve an omniscient. God. And that's just a fancy way of saying he is all knowing all the time. He is literally all knowing all the time. And the scriptures, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says this, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And I love this scripture because it proves that not only does God understand everything and know everything that happens externally, but he understands and knows everything that happens internally. It's not just that God is all-knowing in that he's the Jeopardy champion. God is all-knowing because he knows the details of your day-to-day life. He knows the details of your struggles. He knows the details of the things that pain you. He knows the details of the things that, that cause you to be sad or angry. He knows the details of your desires. And here's why this matters, because he completely knows and cares. Luke chapter number six. Luke chapter number 12, verse number six and seven says this. It says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Because even the hairs of your head are all numbered. If you're bald, I know that doesn't mean much to you, but even before that, like it was was still a number. Fear not, for you are more valuable than the sparrows. God is, he completely knows and he completely cares. He said, hey, if God understands and knows about the sparrows, if he watches over the birds, make it a little bit more personal to me, if he watch over those like weird chickens that was in my, at my, grandmother, my grandmother's farm, how much more valuable do you think you are How much more valuable do you think I am? And this matters because it changes the way that we interact. It brings a centeredness and peace to our lives. I want you to think back the last time that you saw a kid or a grandkid come and scrape their knee on the ground after running. And the first thing they do is they cry out and they run to the trusted adult near them. And the trusted adult starts to console. And before an ointment is applied... And before the the bruise is cleaned, and before there's even a Band-Aid, the child has a peace. Why? Because the child finds peace in knowing that there's somebody present who knows a little bit more and cares about everything that I'm going through. And it brings a peace to life. And so I don't know what you've been dealing with or processing, but I need you to know that your heavenly Father knows it. And he's not surprised by it. And that means he's not surprised by your sin struggle in that you never sin. And God goes, oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe you did that because he knew and he cared anyway. First attribute of God is that he's all knowing all the time. The second attribute of God is this, is that he's omni. Present. That's just another fancy way of saying that the Father is always present all the time. The scripture says this, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it continues in Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We serve a God that was not created, nor was he born. We serve a God who just always was. But but the best part about serving a God who always was—he was—is a past tense version of God. We just serve a God who really just always is. But see, that's that's too present because right now is your is, but you're gonna die one day and pass away, and, and you serve a God who not just was, and you serve a God who not just is, but you serve a God who always will be. See, see, I had a yeah. That's a, come on, see somebody saying Amen in here. Oh. Missouri City, they're trying to keep me away. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, My grandmother used to say this. She wasn't concerned about proper grammar or syntax when she was talking about God. She said, you serve a God who is he who was before there was a was and will be when forever and always ain't no more. And, And that's the way she would describe this God that we serve. But it's this idea that you don't have to worry about God never being around because he literally is omnipresent. And so here's the question. If I ever feel like there's a moment where God is absent, it's not because He disappeared is just because I'm not aware. And, and, And that is further backed up in the scripture, the 34th Psalm, the fourth verse says this. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. Why does this matter? This matters because when you look for him, you will find him. When you look for your God in situations, you will find your God in situations. Even in the middle of pain, when you learn to look for your God in the middle of pain, when you learn to look toward your father in the middle of pain, you will find your father in the middle of the pain. Here's the deal. When you learn to look toward your father in the middle of correction, you will find your father in the middle of correction. When you learn to look for your father in the middle of sickness, you will find your father in the middle of sickness, Because you serve a father that is completely present all the time, that there's never a moment he takes a break, that there's never a moment that he gets so frustrated with you that he turns his back and says, I just can't deal with this right now, that that, that you'll never give him anything that's beyond his capacity to care about. That that you'll never over-exaggerate how much your God wants to be with you and wants a relationship with you because he's always present all the time. So in church, when we sing songs like, God, we want your presence and make us more aware of your presence, we're not inviting God to be somewhere that he isn't. We're saying, God, in this moment, we're looking for you and we want you to show us where you are. About six months ago, I, um, I sold my car, and, which I loved. I sold my car, and I bought my wife an SUV uh, because she's getting a little bigger. Um, she's pregnant. We're about to expand our family. Uh, I expected way more kudos than what you guys just gave me. I sold my car and bought my wife. Thank you, somebody. I'm sorry. I'm not—I don't do it for you guys. I do it for the Heavenly Father and my wife, but— Uh, I sold my car, and I bought my wife a new SUV. And so as a result, I'm driving her car, and her car was horrible. As a matter of fact, I've been driving it six months now. I still call it her car. She hadn't been in it since then, but it's still her car because it's not mine. This is not what I drive. And... the. the The point is her car is it's slow. It's small. There's no way a Christian designed it because God's better than that. Um, it's just, I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I don't want to get like sued for defamation. This is pretty bad. You're never going to drive it again. Uh, but the point is I have been like researching the next car and I've been praying about it. And for me, praying just means the moment my wife, God, and my bank account align is mine. Like when all those three things are together, that's the, that's the prayer trinity for me right there. Uh, <laughs> so now we've been thinking about getting me car and so I've been doing my research and ever since I started doing my research like this car is just popping up everywhere I'm like oh my goodness there it is again and we're sitting there I'm like oh babe there it is again I'm like oh man I seen it in the color I want with everything that I want it just drove past us on the highway I'm like oh man there's the only parking space in church today oh it's beside this car babe that's confirmation the Lord just told me Oh my goodness, look at that. And is it that they just started mass producing this car when I started looking it up? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, production are down on almost every vehicle in the country right now. But what is it? When I'm aware of something, my subconscious learns to find it even when I'm not looking. And so the more time I spend with God, that's why daily devotion is so necessary, because the more I learn about God and the more I learn to see how he interacts and how he moves, my subconscious will learn to find him in situations that maybe I hadn't seen him before. And you serve a God that is always present, moving, and active. You just have to train your heart and mind to find this God. When you seek him, you will find him. In the same way that my heart finds expensive vehicles that I shouldn't buy. I should just keep the car as paid off, but I'm praying about it. You serve a God who's always present. Number three is this. You serve an omnipotent God. And what does omnipotence mean? Omnipotence just means this. It means God is all powerful all the time. It means the Father has unlimited power and authority all the time. Psalms 135, verse 6 says this. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. I love that scripture because to me, it just feels like God is kind of shrugging his shoulders a little bit. It's one of those things where uh, when, when, when I was growing up, my dad at some point in my life would just remind me, hey, son, I want to remind you, you live in my house and I make the rules here. And anything that you are doing, I have allowed you to do. And I, as I got like 17, 18, right before I moved out, I closed my door and I lock it. And it was a mistake. And then my dad would come in and be like, hey, I want to remind you that this is my room and I let you borrow it. I want to remind you that this is my air conditioning and I let you enjoy it. Hey, I want to remind you this is my oxygen and I allow you to breathe it. No, he didn't say that. But but it was this idea. That's what this kind of feels like to me. It's God saying, hey, whatever the Lord does, he pleases because he has ultimate and unlimited power and authority all the time. And it's not just about ability, but it is about he has the right to do so as father and creator of the universe. And that the only boundaries that God lives by are the ones that he has now self-imposed out of his love for you that he chooses to allow himself to function around your free will because he wanted you to be able to choose to have a relationship with him. That, that this God has chosen to be good to you, that he's chosen to love you. And, and what it does is it brings another sense of peace to our life because this matters because there is nothing that he cannot do. It, it means that anything that I'm experiencing, God has either caused or allowed. Anything, amen, that I am experiencing, God has caused or allowed. And as a result, I don't have to be shaken by things because I know that God has caused or allowed. I, had a, um, I have a little bit of airplane anxiety there's this thing that happens. I did research on it because I couldn't believe it. I've never been scared of flying until right around the time I got married. But fun fact, there's this thing that can happen to you uh, in your uh, late 20s and early 30s that if you have a major life event, like mine was my wedding a couple of years ago, and you have any like uh, anxiety, you know, I was just scared. Like I wasn't scared to marry my wife. I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm nervous. But my brain now attaches that to airplanes and I can't fix it. And so now every time I get on an airplane, I'm just anxious for no reason. Like I don't think I'm going to die. I don't think anything like that is going to happen. it just this unknown anxiety that pops up when I have to get on an airplane and take a flight. Uh, my wife and I, we got married, we were long distance, but we got married in North Carolina, and then we flew to our honeymoon in Puerto Rico. But as we were uh, about to taxi to go to Puerto Rico, there was this crazy storm that had just hit Florida. And I mean, it was raining, it was thundering, the clouds were out, and it was just bad. We sat on the tarmac for over two hours waiting for this storm to pass, but it wouldn't pass. And eventually the pilot comes on the intercom, he says, All right, everybody, we're gonna try it, and I say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if you guys were listening, but he said, try. I don't, I don't want to try anything, sir. I either want us to leave or stay. I don't, I don't want to get up there and be like, oh, this is a bad idea. You think? No, no, sir. But he says, we're going to try. He's like, here's what I need everybody to do. I need you to loosen up your seatbelts. It's going to be really, really bumpy, and I don't want the seatbelts to hurt you. I'm like, this still doesn't sound like a good idea, sir. I mean, I, you know, so on and so forth. And so we're in the air, and it is just as bumpy or maybe worse than we expected it to be. People, I mean, we're flying up and down. You know, people are hitting their heads. Like, it is bad. And I'm praying as hard as I can. I'm not praying for my safety or anything like that. I'm just saying, God, if you kill me on my way to my honeymoon, then you and I got something to talk about when I get to heaven. I promise you, Father, this is not my idea of a practical joke. This is I'm taking this personally. I don't know how much I want to be in heaven. No, I'm joking. Um, The the point is that there are moments, though, that that my anxiety is quelled a little bit. Because there are these moments where I sit down on a flight and I always have my window seat because I like to look out of the window and kind of dream and imagine. And I sit down on my flight and I glance over to my right or walking down the aisle, in walks a pilot or a stewardess who's off duty. And they come in and they sit at the row uh, just next to me. And and it brings me comfort because as the turbulence hits and the flight gets a little bumpy, every now and then I just kind of glance over at the other pilot. And every time, I mean, he acts like nothing is going on. There's nothing bumpy about the flight to him. It is normal. He's not shocked. And why? Because I'm comforted knowing that he knows, knowing that he has more power, and knowing that he is present and he's still not shaken. And the truth is that at some point in your life, You have to get used to glancing over every now and then to your heavenly Father and realizing that He's in a situation with you and knowing that He's not shaken and knowing that He knows more and knowing that He cares more. And as a result, you don't have to be flustered by the turbulence because your heavenly Father is present and He's not flustered and He's not shaken. You serve a God who's always present. You serve a God who is all-knowing. You serve a God who's all-powerful. And lastly this, you serve a God who is omnibenevolent. That just means that God is always good, all the time. Psalm 100 verse five says this, "'For the Lord is good. "'His steadfast love endures forever "'and his faithfulness to all generations.'" And the 34th Psalm, the eighth verse says this, "'Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good.'" Blessed is the man. Who takes refuge is him. And to define God as omnibenevolent is to declare that his nature, essence, and being literally is all good willing. An omnibenevolent God is untainted in action, motive, thought, or feeling. And this means that at any point in your life and at any point in my life, God always has your best interest in mind and that he always has my best interest in mind and that he genuinely and genuinely wants to see you in a good place. Now, the issue is because you and I are not perfect, we define good as differently. Sometimes we think if God wants good for me, he will give me what I want. But that is untrue because God is not tainted by your selfish ambitions or any type of selfish ambition. Which means that because God is always good and he always wants what is best for me, that means that there are times that God will oppose sin inside of me. And so God can be both for the prospering of your family and against your anger issues. That God can be both for the growth of your business and against your pride and arrogance. That that God can be both for the proper management of your money and against your greed. Because an omnibenevolent God wants what is good for us all the time. We do not serve an omni-indifferent God that only wants what's best for us as long as it doesn't hurt our feelings or as long as it doesn't cause any strife in our life. We serve a God who wants what's good for us even if we don't enjoy it and even if we do not like it. And the hardest part about this is learning to submit to God and trust His leading and trust His leadership when you don't know His reasoning. To learn to follow God when you don't know the plan and when you can't see the way. To trust that God has already thought out all of the possible scenarios. And to trust that the path that he has you on right now, as long as you are submitted to him and trying to live your life the way he wants you to live, to trust that as long as my path is submitted there, then the rest of it will work out for my good. Why does this matter? This matters because he is always for you. He is always for you. We're ending when we say this, but it is just so amazing to me that this God loves us, that this God is mindful of us, that this God wants a relationship with us. And not a relationship that's based on simple obedience, but a relationship that's based on love, that's based on intimacy, that's based on caring, that's based on knowing one another, that's based on a submitted childlike trust in His way and a submitted childlike trust In his faith, later in the scripture, it tells us that we have received the spirit of adoption by which we are called, which we called out Abba, Father. And it means that God, when Jesus died on the cross for us, even though he was Jesus's heavenly father, through Jesus's death, we received the spirit of adoption. And now God treats, treated Jesus the way he should have treated us so he could treat us the way that he has to treat Jesus. And you and I, we get this sonship and this daughtership into the kingdom and family of God through adoption. And this is so close to my heart because when I was 12 years old, I figured out that the man that I called dad and father my whole life wasn't my father. And as a matter of fact, when I figured out he was overseas in Iraq and he would have to stay there another two years and I couldn't have a conversation with him. And I had no idea whether when he got back, I would still have a father or not. I didn't know if he knew, I didn't know when he knew. If he did know, I didn't know when he would find out. But upon my father returning home I said, son, I'm I'm unconcerned about the details of your birth. And he said, regardless of what this paper says or what people say or anything like that, I want you to know I raised you and you are my son. And in that moment, I knew what it felt like to have a love of a father. Not a father who just had to love me, but a father who chose to love me because he had an out. He didn't have to continue providing. He wasn't obligated to continue loving. He wasn't obligated to treat me the way he treated the rest of my siblings who were his biological children. But he chose to love me. And it didn't speak to how good I was as a son. It didn't speak to how I was able to follow the rules. But it spoke to the character of my father. And your Father chose you. And it doesn't speak to how good you are or are not. And it doesn't speak to what you have to offer God. But it speaks to the love of your heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us when we were basically completely unlovable. God, thank you for being present with us when we feel alone. God, thank you that you're powerful enough to do anything that we need. God, thank you that you know all things and you care infinitely about us. And lastly, God, thank you so much that in the middle of that, you still always want what is best for us. Father God, there are many of us in the room who we either don't know what it's like to have a father, or God, it's difficult for us to picture a father who loves us so much and who's close and who's warm and who's intimate. And who knows? But God, the truth is, is that that is what you are and you want a relationship with us. So thank you for creating a way for us to have a relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody together say it. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands.